Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and straight-up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. My hope for our listeners is that you can take away a special nugget of information from each of these interviews, something that will serve you and the people most important to you in pursuing a life built on purpose. My name is Brian Moore, co-founder and managing partner of Y Scouts, and today I'm interviewing Louis Efron. I met Louis about three and a half years ago. It was quite a chance meeting. I was reading a Forbes.com article, and the article inspired me. And for some reason, I decided to see who the author was. When I clicked on the author's name, I followed a breadcrumb trail, which led me to Lewis. And it just so happened that Lewis lived about 25 minutes from where I worked. I sent him an email, never thinking I'd hear anything. Within seconds of sending my email, I received a response from Lewis. We met the next day and have been friends ever since. And it reminds me of something a wise man once told me. When you are on the right path, the path of purpose, you will meet people who've been waiting for you the whole time. Lewis has been one of those people in my life, and I can't wait to share this interview with you. I hope you enjoy Lewis as much as I have. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you Lewis Efron. Lewis, buddy, it's great to have you on. Ryan, great to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, you've done so many things, Lewis, and there's just so many questions I want to get to today. I, I think what's so fascinating is how your career has progressed over the years. And I was hoping maybe you could share with our listeners where you started dating back to Broadway and how that experience has really shaped uh, what your life has become and, and the purpose of your work. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Brian. So my career has been sort of non-traditional. I mean, I, my undergraduate in theatrical directing, and um, once I graduated from California State University of Fullerton, I flew out to New York to pursue my dream of working Broadway theater. And on the road of interviewing and trying to get in the door, I waited tables. I was a bellhop. I was head of conference service supervisor for a um, conference place up in um, Terrytown, New York. So I did a whole bunch of little things and finally landed my dream job managing Broadway shows in New York City, and I was working for a Broadway producer. And I had a, subsequently about an eight-year career, eight, nine-year career in New York, both managing shows, producing and directing, um, even managing um, actors at Actors' Equity Association Union, union environment. So I had a slew of different experiences and opportunities while I was in the arts. And after spending eight, nine years in the arts and realizing I wanted to actually be able to pay rent someday and maybe have a family, <laughs> uh, I decided that I needed to, well, theater was a labor of love and I just absolutely adored it. I needed to make a little more money in my life. And so I was looking around for things that were really sort of fed my purpose and things that were really important to me. And I really always liked the humanitarian side of things. That's why I was in the arts, because in the arts I was able to, to move people to, you know, to laughter, to tears, to action, whatever I wanted to do. And I wanted to do the same thing in a corporate job. So I looked around specifically in 
the medical industry, because I knew the medical industry, one, would have that connection to helping people live a better life, less their lives, and just improving lives in general. And I also knew the medical industry would probably be more of a solid career move for me, both financially and just as I, I grow in my career. So I made a really interesting transition. So I went from being in the arts to then a labor relations specialist at Stryker Medical Devices. And a lot of people think that that was a huge, huge jump. But the fact of the matter is, in the arts, there's a union for just about everything you can imagine. So I was doing a lot of labor relations as a producer and manager, and then working in a union environment in the theater. So when I switched over, I was basically doing the same thing I was doing in the arts, only for manufacturing workers in a corporate environment. So the jump wasn't, wasn't too crazy, but I gotta tell you, I did, did discover quite quickly that there's a lot more drama in, um, in HR than there ever was back in theater. <laughs> so um, I discovered that quite quickly in labor relations. But it was, it was an amazing journey. And then when I got in Stryker, the goal was to sort of learn initially about the corporate world and then maybe take it back to the arts because I, I did love the arts and I still do. And I wanted to figure out how to sort of make a better living doing it. And I thought learning a big corporate model would help sort of apply that to me. But when I got in Stryker, it was an amazing organization. I got in this remarkable roller coaster of opportunity and living and working all over the world. I had a chance to um, spend a lot of time in the New York area and then live in Europe for several years and live in Japan for a year and then back in Arizona. So I was all over the place. And it just, I grew from a labor relations specialist to a vice president of human resources. I handled basically every function, well, every function in the business from um, you know, the front line manufacturing all the way through sales and marketing and finance, everything in the business. So I got to see 360 degrees how a Fortune 300 company works, both from different divisions and different parts of the world. And it was just a remarkable experience. So every time I got even slightly bored or antsy, I was promoted into a, a new role that would stretch my ability and, and interest. So Stryker did an amazing job and I had a lot of amazing mentors in my life. I mean, people that really cared about me and cared about my career and that mentored me along and moved me in the right position. So it was, it was not by luck. It was by hand. There's a lot of great people that helped guide my career to give me that experience. So after spending uh, 11 years at Stryker, I got an opportunity at a company called JD Software here in Arizona. And it was head of international HR. I got a chance to experience a totally different industry, get back to Europe for a little bit. My wife um, is from Scotland. My first daughter was born in England, so we have a lot of roots there. So we got back for a bit. Spent a couple of years at CDA Software and then transitioned back into my own business, which is something I've, I was working on for a while. I've been writing since I've been very, very young. It's always been part of my purpose and passion, and I was writing for Forbes and Huffington Post. And I wanted to complete my book, so I had left JDA, completed my book, How to Find a Job and Career in Life You Love, continued writing for Forbes and Huffington Post, and also um, sort of you know, doing some purpose-based consulting around aligning purpose, employee purpose with corporate purpose, and the business results of that. And um, then in my own business, I decided to move back to Europe with my family, get my wife a little closer to her parents. and some of her friends, and about six months after getting there and a month and a half after unpacking, I got a call from an ex-colleague of mine at Stryker about an opportunity to launch an employee engagement initiative at Tesla Motors. Um, clearly jumped at it. It was a remarkable opportunity to go into basically a huge purpose lab. I had written about Elon Musk in the past in the Forbes article, and it's something 
had followed him for a while. So it was a pretty amazing opportunity. My wife was incredible. We packed everything back up, including a baby grand piano, and shipped it back to the Bay Area. And um, spent last year doing that. And now I'm back in um, my, my business full time, back here in Arizona, and um, have a new platform, with, which we can talk about later, with Purpose Needs Execution. But it's been a, a huge roller coaster of a career, and I feel very, very blessed to have a chance, have a chance to experience several different industries many different roles, tons of different experiences, global, you know, global exposure. And that led me to where I am today. So I sort of, a long-winded answer to uh, what, you, what you asked me, Brian, but it was a lot of stuff. And I had a chance to experiment at the end of the day in my life. That's what my book's about. It's about experimenting and trying different things and getting a chance to really find your path. And because I didn't have the tools I sort of created around this book about asking the right questions early in my career, I, I sort of meandered around and, and found where I needed to be, and now I'm in a place in life where I'm fulfilling my, my purpose and what I need to do, and it's um, playing to my strengths and absolutely just love what I do every day. And that's sort of, So it's been a huge journey, um, but I finally got there, <laughs> so that's, and there's still more to go. So uh, let's talk about writing for a minute and, and the work that you did, but even prior to the book in, you know, writing has been a big part of your life and you've had the opportunity to contribute to, you know, uh, organizations like Forbes and Huffington Post. As you were writing what mattered most to you and the readers began communicating with you and commenting on, on what you wrote and the stories that you shared, can you think about what perhaps some of the most surprises, what the biggest surprises have been or the things that struck you uh, the most coming from your readers about what you were writing about? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, writing, like I said, you know, it's been always a passion of mine. I've always wanted to actually make a living as a writer because I've been very, very young. I've always written. I've written creatively. And then when I switched into the business world, I started writing about business. Um, and the one thing I always wanted to do in all everything I've done in the arts, whether it be in theater or writing or my books, is be able to move my audience and be able to give them things that are actually helpful in their lives to, to move things forward in their personal life or the business life. And the one thing that's gotten so much gratification from my writing and even more surprising as the feedback is coming in is the ability to really actually help people with what I'm doing. So the Forbes articles and Huffington Post and things I write about there, I always try to put action items and things that people can take away to actually use. And I've gotten tons of great feedback about things that people are actually using and are actually effective in their business and are actually helping them better in their personal lives or business lives. And I guess I learned more than anything that the power of the pen, which I always knew was a powerful thing, but the more I got entrenched in writing and the more people started reading my stuff, the more, the more I realized how much influence I could have to do good for both people trying to find their purpose in life and live better lives and helping corporations do better things. So I think the biggest surprise to me was how that unfolded. And I'll tell you sort of a funny story. When I published my first Forbes article, I got about 300 hits in the first couple hours, and I sent an email to my editor at Forbes, and I said, wow, is it common for a new writer to get 300 hits on the article? And I didn't get a response initially because they probably thought it was crazy because 300 hits on an article in Forbes is really pretty much nothing. But for me, <laughs> it was a huge, huge thing. I mean, because 300 people had read my stuff. That's probably the most of my entire life. And now I have millions of people reading my stuff, and 
just to know that I'm, I'm moving the needle for people um, and the feedback I get, that has been just amazing and it's been bigger than I ever imagined. I think it's probably the, the biggest surprise and the biggest delight that I've had with my writing. Um, and yeah, I think that's been quite remarkable. That's awesome. That's awesome. So obviously a lot of your writing revolves around the importance of purpose and doing something that will provide uh, each individual a deep sense of meaning and satisfaction in their day-to-day -day lives. Uh, as, as we are all well aware, our time on this spinning blue and green ball is relatively short. And so to waste uh, any bit of the two thirds of it that's usually spent working for most of us uh, is a missed opportunity. Why do you think that uh, even with all of the data that's out there that that draws the connection between why a sense of purpose drives better business results? Why is leadership still in a fog on how important this stuff really is in driving better results? Why, why are they not buying it? Yeah, you know, sometimes I, I have to say I'm shocked by this fact. And maybe sometimes when you believe something so strongly that you're shocked and other people don't believe it. But um, sometimes it, it just shocked me that some leaders are not getting this. And despite the statistics, I mean, there's research, which you know well know, Brian, but, um, you know, research that shows that there's some huge growth in purpose-based organizations. One thing I cite in my presentations on a constant basis is the study in the book, um, Terms of Endearment, which is a great, great book. And it talks about the study that was done between 1996 and 2011, where purpose-based companies grew 1,646% versus the S&P 500 at 157%. So despite that, which is hard research that shows that purpose, purpose matters and purpose actually grows businesses, and turns out it's the single most powerful tool for top and bottom line growth. The, the essence of this is so, so simple, right? And the description I usually give, or I usually talk about when I'm speaking, is when you go into, for example, a retail store, it's something everybody can relate to. Pretty much everybody in the world has been in a retail store at some point. And you go into a retail store and you connect with an employee that's doing what they should be doing, they're highly engaged, they're good at what they do, they're, they're, they're playing to their strengths, and you have a remarkable experience connecting to that particular employee in the store. Most likely, you're going to spend, spend money there. You're probably going to spend more money there. You're probably going to go out and tell your friends to shop there, and you're going to return there and spend more money. So the more that employee is connected to their purpose, the more it impacts their engagement because they're, they're waking up each morning thinking they're, they're in a space where they're doing something that connects to why they're put on earth. And it feeds into that engagement, it feeds into that customer experience. Now you have the exact opposite experience. You go into a store and you interact with an employee that just hates life, right? They just, they're in the wrong role, wrong space. They just hate their job, hate everything about it. And they give you really poor customer service or no customer service at all. You may leave the store without spending any money. You guaranteed you won't return to the store and you'll tell all everybody you know not to shop there either. So it's such a simple concept to me that both for internal employees or in, say external employees that are or internal employees that are communicating with your external you know, customers or your internal employees connecting with internal customers with other departments that the interaction between two people that are highly engaged and connected and doing what they need to be doing in life there will be it would make perfect sense it'd be a spark of business results connected to that and what I always say is if Imagine if everybody in your organization jumped out of bed each morning and, and because they believed they were doing something more than a nine to five job, they were doing something that 
connected to why they were put on this planet, and they apply that energy to your business because it's connected to it's a connection to their purpose and the organizational purpose. Just imagine the more productivity you get about, the more care about what they want, what they're doing, the more engagement with their internal and external customers. It's just such a basic, basic principle. And I think a lot of people that haven't found their purpose in life, they're still frustrated in trying to find out where they need to be. They maybe haven't experienced the euphoria around that. But you speak to anybody who has actually connected with that, and you see the results of that. You just see how much more engaged they are in life. And that just translates into everything someone does in the job and the output that happens in the business. So, it, like I said, it always amazes me that leaders don't get this, but I think more and more organizations, I know more and more organizations are, are subscribing to this and understanding it. I mean, big companies like GE, if you see those commercials when they talk about, you know, it's, it's not your grandfather's business or your father's business, whatever, that, that commercial talking about jobs that change the world. Mm -hmm. um, more and more companies are talking about that and they, they know it attracts certainly the next generation, the millennials and the next generation workforce coming up that really care about purpose-driven organizations and a purpose in life. So they're, they're starting to get that. So you're seeing more and more organizations, I think, coming on board. But I, I firmly believe, and this is a really strong statement, but I firmly believe that the organizations that are traditional and the leaders that can't think um, outside the box and move into the space of purpose, no matter how big and, and established the organization is, I think ultimately it's Darwinism, they will die because they will not be able to compete for the best talent coming forward in the future. By 2020, 40% um, of the workforce will be millennials that care about this. And if people are ignoring this, they ultimately will not be able to compete for the best talent and they will die as big as they are. So I think if people don't get it now, I think in five, 10 years, they will absolutely, by mandatory, mandatory, they will understand it for sure. Have there been, so to that point, have there been any uh, types of businesses or industries that most of us would look at as a bit behind the times who have sought you out either individually or in mass to come speak to them, to talk to them about what this purpose movement, what this, this stuff is all about and hopes to revive uh, or breathe life into uh, either a business or an industry. Do you have any examples? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I got a remarkable call from the um, auto care industry, Apex. I presented at the um, Apex event in Las Vegas, about 160,000 people there last year. And this is an industry that is a $500 billion industry that basically recognizes that understanding their purpose and marketing their purpose to talent is what's going to allow their industry to continue to grow and prosper. And so I went to this, this uh, convention in Vegas and spoke about purpose and had a remarkable uptake of interest and um, subsequently wrote some articles for them. I have other speaking events, everything from the North Carolina Tire Association to other automotive training organizations that I'm speaking later this year. And there's an organization that really gets it. And every organization starts with purpose. They just lose it over time. They forget why they're in business and they start chasing a P&L, which we need to get. We need to obviously achieve our top and bottom line results. But the way you get it is from why you started your business in the first place and fulfilling that corporate purpose. But people forget about it. So here's an industry, $500 billion industry that understands it, that connected to it. I got a call just um, about a month ago when I'm speaking at the California Bankers Association. This is another 
you know, industry where a lot of people may not think uh, purpose-based, but there's an organization that's embracing it, an industry that's embracing it, and, and want they want to redefine it and make sure that people understand that they are purpose-driven and they're they are having a huge impact on people's lives, and this is how they do it. So yeah, so I think there's tons of examples, and I'm getting just a, a myriad of different um, industries calling me about this, this stuff, and it's really exciting to see. Yeah, that is super exciting. I mean, you know, I, I think that the Automo- Automotive Association, the Tire Association, you know, some of those examples that you gave uh, are certainly not what most of us would think about as a place where there's a deep sense of purpose that lives, e- even even dating back to the inception of some of these businesses. But you're right. You know, these businesses were formed uh, you would hope uh, and certainly think to solve a problem, better a service, better a solution for those that they were going to serve. And then over time, as you stated, that, you know, the, the numbers start to take precedence and, and uh, the spreadsheet starts to take over. And obviously, as that begins to happen, you, you, you begin losing the very essence of why the business started in the first place. Definitely so. Definitely yeah. So. Yeah. So I, I want to throw out a, uh, a quote. Uh, it's one of my favorites of many. Uh, it's a Sigmund Freud quote. And he says, love and work are the cornerstones of our humanness. And I don't think there was any mistake to this quote in him combining love and work. And what's so fascinating about this purpose movement is that it's tapping into this deep felt sense of emotion, of, of love, of connectivity. And for the longest time, it has been largely absent from you know, our corporate environments. Um, are you optimistic that this Freud quote will someday, there will be a, a joining of love and work and, and we can actually begin to think about work in that sense? Absolutely. I think uh, I love Freud. He was clearly a visionary um, and many things he did, and, and this is clearly one of them. There is there's absolutely an evolution, we're speaking about this, of, of a new workforce coming online that care about this, that believe in this, and believe in this quote, believe in the combination of love and work. And the other thing I would say, too, is that a technology has facilitated this a strong acceleration in this direction. I mean, there is no longer a division between work and play and work and love. It's just it's just not there anymore. I mean, in the old days, before computers and before voicemail and emails, you could leave your office and nothing would follow you home before even mobile phone, mobile phones. I mean, nothing would follow you. You can go on vacation. You would have a clear separation. But nowadays, everybody walks around with their their iPhone in their pocket, right? You get you're constantly connected to both your personal life and your business life, and they basically become one. You can't really tell the difference. Um, today, I was you know, having lunch at a cafe and, and doing a little work, and I'll, I'll do work as well at the gym on my email and just all various places because there is no, there's no four walls anymore for me, at least in my business, and a lot of people that work in their, in their own entrepreneurial environments. But in the corporate environment, more and more people are starting to work remote because you can with technology. Um, which means you, you take your kid to school, maybe you work a little morning, take your kid to school, you come back, you do a little more work, um, you watch your kid play in their soccer event and, and be working there in between, um, in, between, um, in between points and things like that. But the bottom line is there, there's just no more division between this. And because of that, the workforce has got to evolve to embrace uh, a combination of both love and work because 
the, the sad thing is so many people spend the majority of their lives working in jobs they just don't like. And what a shame. I mean, we have one time, as you mentioned earlier, Brian, you have, we have one chance of this in our lives to do what we love and enjoy our time here on, on planet Earth. And what a shame that most people spend the majority of their lives in jobs they don't like. And, but the new generation recognizes that. They say, no, we're not doing that. We don't want a nine-to-five job. We're not, we're not going to be you know, punching clocks. We're going to be doing something that we believe is going to help change the world, that's going to help us grow and fulfill our personal purpose, and we're just not going to take any job. And so that evolution is going to be pushed in this direction to fulfill what Freud had, had saw between the love and work because it's just technology there to support it. The new generation that's coming up believes in this and they won't take anything less. And so it's going to happen. Absolutely. So, uh, so refreshing to hear because it is just so necessary. And as you pointed out, uh, in, in books like Firms of Endearment, where there's just tremendous data that shows the impact that this has on business results. And, and ultimately, you know, it, it would certainly be socially irresponsible for a business to not be profitable, right? It needs profit to sustain. It needs profit to continue to invest in its mission to do, and to do what it does well. Um, but the way to have more of it is truly to not make it being profit the goal and instead align your teammates and the people who are going to spend their waking hours focusing on the business to something that matters to them. And by doing so, you're going to end up having more profit than you likely could have planned for if you were managing by a spreadsheet. It's, it's really, really great stuff. You know, yeah. one of the data points that's, you, it just can't be ignored, right? And coming from you who, ha, who has spent a, a great deal of time in the people profession, the human resources profession, is the data that Gallup releases every year. And, and I've looked at it. You've stared at it a bazillion times. I'm sure most of our listeners have looked at it. But, you know, for the last 15, 16 years, we've had roughly uh, 30% of the, at least the workforce in the United States, fall into the engaged category, those that are driving innovation and creativity for their businesses who are making things happen. You've got 50% of the workforce that's just sort of a, you know, just just fly just enough below the radar, do enough to, to collect my paycheck and uh, not do anything stupid so as to get fired. And then the remaining 20% is roughly, uh, or the remaining 20%, roughly 20% is sitting in the, you know, actively disengaged. And those are the folks that are, uh, you know, the cancers of the organization. So we've had all of this technology innovation. We've had, you know, boom cycles, bus cycles. We've had all kinds of different uh, external and internal forces on our businesses. And for roughly a decade and a half, we've had these three buckets and the data hasn't changed. 30% engaged, 50% could take it or leave it, and 20% just, just unhappy. What is it going to take to get this data to start moving? How do we move this 50% into the upper quadrant? And how do we maybe start to cheer up some of the 20% if that's even doable? Yeah, no, I mean, this goes back to our, our last conversation, Brian, really our last comment there about purpose. I mean, purpose is, for me, the igniter behind all this stuff. As you said, we've been speaking about this for decades now, and numbers are not moving. And we got you got to ask why. And I think this purpose movement is the reason why. I mean, majority of people, when you talk to them, mostly would not say they're connected to a job that sort of connects to their purpose or drives their purpose. And a lot of people don't even know what their purpose is. They haven't spent time really thinking about it. So the way 
that this is going to change, is really going to change, is when the new generation coming forward is already asking these questions, right? They're already asking, what am I meant to do here? What, what do I do best? Um, what, am I, what is my legacy on this planet? Those questions are starting to be asked of really every generation, but specifically the next generation workforce coming up. And they're going to be entering the workforce with this information already in their pocket. They're going to know what they do best, where they need to go, why they're here, and they're going to be looking for jobs that match up with that. And or, that's going to force organizations to have to start defining their purpose. And what would you guys do, Brian? I mean, you guys, we met as a result. I was writing, this is sort of funny, as you know, I was writing a purpose-based recruiting article for Forbes when you contacted me um, saying, hey, I saw you writing in Forbes and um, I see you here in Arizona. And that's how we, we connected, which was amazing. And that's why I always talk about when you find your purpose in life, where you need to be, magical things start to naturally happen. And our, our connection, our friendship has been a result of that. But what you guys do at Y Scouts is, is definitely the future, and it's not a, you know, a, a plug, it's, it's reality here, um, because that's what people are interested in. That's going to be the spark that's going to change the level of engagement and start driving these statistics. Because imagine the, even the economic power. If we can take, let's say they say, say 13%, you know, Gallup studies say 13% of the world population is engaged in what they're doing. So let's say if we could even flip that and say 50% of the global workforce is really it jumps out of bed each morning because they love what they do and they're engaged in what they do because again there's that connection to purpose. Imagine just the economic power of the planet of what you can do and you see the great examples of someone like a, a Richard Branson in the world who is clearly if you watch any of the interviews or you see him interact um, he is clearly living his purpose what he needs to do that's where his focus is and he's made billions of dollars as a result of it and he's remarkable innovation and things like that. So if we could get if even 50% of the workforce aligned like that, imagine just the power, imagine what we could do, imagine how we could really, really change the world. So that's the difference. That's why the engagement numbers are not moving because most people, are, again, are not jumping out of bed because um, they love what they do. They're jumping out of bed because it's a paycheck, they need a job, and maybe they, they work at a better company than another company they've worked for before. But it's, it's still, for most people, it's a job. And that's where the mentality has to change. And that's way where corporate, corporations can help facilitate that by, again, defining for their workforce and their recruitment, um, recruitment efforts what their purpose is and w how they're changing the world. And that's going to attract people that understand why they're, what they're trying to do to change the world. And that's going to attract the right talent to the right roles and the right companies. And that's got to have a huge impact on engagement right out of the boat, right? Um, when, you know, I was being told, actually, I was, I'll tell you another story about connected to you guys too, Brian, because it's fresh in my mind. I was meeting with, um, you know, Max, who is obviously the head of your organization. He told me that he offered someone a job for Y Scouts, and they screamed on the phone when they got the, the offer. And I thought to myself, and I said to him, I said, how many people accept a job where they actually scream because they're so excited that they've got that job. <laughs> sure. Now that's really cool. And but we're playing in obviously the purpose space, right? So we're your process, what you guys do, what I do, we're playing in that environment where people are connected to what we do because of we're in the space. But just imagine if every employee you hired, wouldn't companies want that, right? Wouldn't employee companies want employees to jump up and down and scream that they just got a job at your organization because they're going to be part of changing the world. 
that's just going to translate into higher engagement. It's going to start shifting these numbers, but that is going to be the catalyst for change. I firmly believe it. Um, and again, it's nice to see this wave catching on and organizations starting to get that because that's going to shift, that's going to shift these numbers. So with, with, with purpose and connectivity to the mission of the organization, certainly being a necessary, if not the most important ingredient to raising the engagement data, which will then inevitably lead to better productivity and profitability. There's, there's people out there, right, who, who may not know exactly why they are here. They don't know exactly what their purpose is. They know maybe it's not what they're doing today, but they don't know exactly what it is. And maybe they're just, you know, they reach that point of paralysis where they don't even know where to begin looking for it. In your book, How to Find a Job, Career, and Life You Love, are there any tips or advice that you can give our listeners for those that they know they're in the wrong, what they do know is they're in the wrong spot? but they don't know what the right spot necessarily looks like. What advice do you have for them? Sure, and this uh, won't be a shameless plug, but first of all, get my book because that will help you, the process. <laughs> but outside of that, what I try to do in this book, and again, this book is basically my journey, what, what took me you know, two decades to, to sort of figure out because I sort of meandered around and had some luck and experimented and got to where I needed to be. But what the book attempts to do is to gives you these questions to people to ask early in the career, any time in their career, to help refocus them in the right direction. Because you're right, the question is quite daunting. I mean, you don't, most people don't wake up in the morning and know immediately um, when they start thinking about this stuff what their purpose is. It's a, there's a process behind it and the strategy. So what I recommend is asking, and this is what I do in the book, throughout the whole book, is ask questions and respond to those questions honestly and thoughtfully. That is what helps get you to where you need to be. Most people are on a treadmill in life. I mean, they are moving a million miles an hour, again, with technology, emails coming from every direction. People don't take a breath, even, even a 10 minutes during the day to say, am I doing what I should be doing? Am I doing what I'm best at? By taking that time, even if it's 10 minutes a day or five minutes a day, to start asking those questions, you start coming from some realizations. For example, one question I love to ask, and it's my, sort of my staple question is, and if you didn't need money, what would you, what would you spend your day doing? Because most people always tie, and the reality is you need money to survive. I fully understand that. But my theory is if you find something you really love and it's aligned with your purpose and your strengths, you'll make more money than you ever imagined versus just getting a job. So if you can answer that question, then honestly and sit back and say, what, what would I be spending my time? If I didn't have to worry about money at all, where would I be spending my time? And then once you determine that, then figure out a way to make money doing that. And, and then the money will, will, when you find yourself a role that actually pays to do that, again, you'll be more successful, the money will follow. Um, a question I asked about strengths that I, I frequently ask the people is, where do you get the most praise? So when people, when people say, I, I don't really know what I do best, most people know what they do best, they just don't take the time to think about it. So if you think about your day um, and your, your year and your last five years, what things have people commented on and give you the most praise. That's usually a strong indication as to what you do best in life. So just asking good questions and being very methodical about it, being very strategic about it. I mean, there's lots of people that talk about purpose by saying that you just you sort of meander through life and when you find it, you know it. That's great. But a lot of people don't ever find it because it's just, it's not that process. There has to be some strategy behind everything. I firmly believe in life. If you're not succeeding, you need to change your strategy. And one of the strategies, I think, around purpose is just asking those questions. 
asking, you know, what your legacy is. What do you want to leave behind? What do you want the world or your family or your, your friends to remember you for? That's a huge sign as to what you should be doing in life. You get one chance to knock this out of the park, right? So what do you want to be, what do you want to be remembered for? Start thinking back. What are you doing? How do you, how do you get that end game? But understanding, yeah, what you do best, what you would do if you didn't, if money was not in the equation, really, really, you, get, you really have to separate that because it's a tough question and most people always go back. They start meandering back to the fact, yeah, but I need money. But just give yourself a treat of, of 10 minutes to sort of fantasize about that. And those are the type of, those are the type of questions that will help sort of start guiding your thinking into maybe where you need to be. And then what you need to do is start experimenting. You don't have, I'm not, I never recommend anybody gets, gets up in the morning, starts asking these questions, and goes, goes in and quits their job. It's unreasonable, it's unrational, it's, it's rational, you just don't want to do it. But start asking these questions, and you start playing around with places you may be a better fit in life and jobs that may fit better for you or corporations. And you can experiment. You can do weekend jobs. You can do jobs in the evening. You could even intern places, whatever it is, just to get a taste of that and see if that's the right path for you to follow. But if you don't ever take any action, you'll start thinking about it, you're never going to be able to lift yourself out of potentially a frustrating spot where you feel stuck. And in most cases, you have the power to make those changes. It's just people that are willing to do it. And it's not easy work. I'm not saying that you know, finding your purpose and, and finding your right place in life is an, is an easy task. It's hard work like anything else. But if you need to take it in baby steps. And baby steps that outline the book is just, you know, question the night type of thing. Start asking a question the night before you go to bed and sleep on it, think on it, and take a little bit of time. And if you could live your life, it's an exercise I have in the book. If you could live your life for 30 days exactly the way you want to live it, then you can live it for another 30 days and, and another 30 days and a year and two years and 10 years in your entire lifetime. So it's because it can be very overwhelming to think about shifting everything in your life towards in a new direction. And that's not the goal of this. The goal of it is self-discovery, baby steps, one step at a time to evolve where you need to be and you'll ultimately get there. But, you know, the, the beginning of it is that first step. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think about uh, some of the decisions that I've made that uh, certainly intuitively felt like they were going to get me closer to, you know, my true, my true north, if you will. And as I think back on some of the decisions I've made throughout my career, I've made sacrifices, you know, this, this, this deliberate move towards doing work that really matters to me so that I could wake up every morning and lay my head on the pillow every night, knowing that the work I do really fills me up in a way that maybe it isn't monetary, but it's a, a sense of, of fulfillment, a sense of meaning, and, and there's value to that. And, I, you know, I, I personally have made all kinds of financial sacrifice over my career. And I just, you know, I have to wonder, uh, is that part of the equation potentially? Do people need to really sit down in addition to asking these great questions, which I've read through the book and it is fantastic and really forces you to think about what matters most. But, you know, with this purpose journey, if you're going to begin becoming unstuck and maybe for a short period of time, uh, you do need to make some sacrifices and reorient or reorganize things in your life to really prioritize what matters most. Because if you're making you know more money than you've ever wanted to make, but you're coming home every day miserable and uh, not having a great life uh, as a result, it's affecting your family, it's affecting your friends, your, your overall quality. Well, then maybe the financial peace and paying the bills, which again, I agree with you are important, but uh, maybe it's an opportunity to simply reassess and take some short-term 
uh, or make a short-term sacrifice in order to really achieve a long-term return. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's, there's obviously going to be this bit of hard work, the sacrifices along the way. But if you're if you're looking at both a short-term and a long-term strategy, I mean, short-term you need to put food on your table, so you need to make sure you take care of that. But long-term strategy, you need to get to a place where you're happy and fulfilled in life, because that's going to bring you more abundance than you you ever imagined. I think one thing that really highlights this for me too is uh, I think anybody that's a family, like a kids at home, can probably relate heavily to this. And people that make a lot of money that are miserable and they come home and their kids and their spouses see how unhappy they are in life, that is just a terrible model to be putting forward to people that you love. And, you know, I've seen in my life, I've taken financial, huge financial sacrifices to move into the right places I needed to be. And I know you said, Brian, you have, and I've seen other people that have done both that, have, that either have stayed in jobs where they've made a lot of money and been incredibly unhappy and people around them all know how unhappy they are and feel quite frankly bad for them, which is, which is so ironic because they're making all this money and people actually feel bad for them. And then there's the people that make the sacrifices and change and move into something where they really love and people want to be around those people. People are inspired by those people. People are motivated by those people. And you're setting a remarkable example for kids and other people around you, for your kids potentially, of that doing what you love is, is most important and most fulfilled. And Money doesn't make you happy. We all we all know that. We've seen tons of examples of society. People have Google, you know, oogles of money and incredibly unhappy. So money does not buy happiness. It's doing what you love and what you're passionate about and what you what you're good at and what's going to make a difference in the world for you. That's what makes you happy. And the more you, the closer you get to that, the more people are going to pay you to do those type of things. So the money, like I said, the money follows if you if you focus on the right thing. But you're 100% right. There is there's certainly sacrifices that need to be made along the way. Um, but you need to, I, I always like to quote by Dr. Wayne Dyer, to change the way you look at things or things you look at change, right? Um, and it's, it's so, so true in life. So if you look at life as being, you know, stuck and negative experiences, and that's what you're going to have. Um, if you look at life as having potential and opportunity and the ability to achieve what you want to achieve, um, you'll get there. I mean, you'll get there. Like there'll be bumps in the road, and it won't be easy, uh, but you'll ultimately get there. And everybody around you will will recognize that you've you've achieved what is so important again, that connection, the purpose, and fulfillment, and being happy in life. Which shocks me why anybody would want to be unhappy in life, but it happens. <laughs> So this, uh, Lewis, this has just been great. I cannot thank you enough for spending the time that you have with us, but I, I don't want to leave just yet. I, I, you're working on something really, really exciting right now. Um, I, 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 I hope I'm let, not letting the cat out of the bag and I hope it's okay to talk about, but maybe you can share with our listeners a little bit about uh, what's next for you. Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing it up, Ryan. I definitely, it's, it's um, right now in the process of developing uh very exciting new tool for basically the corporate market, which and it's a brand that I'm coming out with called Purpose Meets Execution, which is in the development stage, which will hopefully be um, ready to go to market in the next probably next two months. And what it does is it brings purpose and everything I've been speaking about for years and how do you connect your employees, um, you understand your employees' purpose, connect it to your corporate purpose and the impact of the engagement on uh, in your organization, ultimately your business results. 
but it's called purpose meets execution because the one thing I've discovered in my travels in studying the purpose-based environment, corporate environment, and being involved in it is purpose is absolutely the foundation and the mandatory baseline for every organization that you need to build on. But you can't change the world if you can't execute and deliver great business results. So if if you're in your in your business and you're thinking like um, potentially a, a traditional charity in the old days where you know it's, it's about the cause but you don't think about beyond the cause and how you're going to structure to bring in donations in the corporate world how you're going to bring in sales and profit the only way a purpose-based organization commercial-based purpose-based organization is going to change the world is if they run a great business if they actually are able to sell more and produce more profit and as you said earlier Brian reinvest in your business to grow hire more people to further fulfill your purpose so there's got to be a connection behind between purpose and execution of balance and this new tool that I'm developing is basically a tool that helps assess the balance you have in your organization the balance of understanding your purpose and the connection to purpose with your employees and the ultimate employee engagement you get out of that in business results, but also a combination of how much you're executing on that, how you're using that purpose to leverage your ability to execute on what you, what the market expectations of your business is, what your, your sales and profit ob objectives are, um, everything to do with every financial and business metric you have in your business, make, having a connection and a balance behind the purpose of your business and the execution of the business. And that's what's going to drive really great and strong and sustainable business results both in your top and bottom line um, bottom line profits. So what I'm doing with this this platform is essentially doing diagnostics for organizations where you go in myself and my team to assess the organizational balance and diagnostic do diagnostics as to where that sits. And then putting a process in place and launching a process within the organization to action plan around bringing that balance in line and making sure it's sustainable and strong to ultimately tie that to better business results. So it's really, really exciting because it's, it's, it's new as people talking about purpose around the place, as people talking about execution, but it hasn't been brought together. And this is, I think, the magic behind this next step in this whole purpose movement is having an organization that's truly changing the world, but they're changing the world because they're running a great business and they're delivering what they, what they need to deliver as far as product, as far as quality, as far as financial results to their investors, and then it all works. And this also supports, when we started this whole conversation, the ROI behind purpose. Because when you connect the two, we're going to start seeing remarkable ROI, and more and more organizations are going to be drawn to this and more and more employees and talent are drawn to this model because it is going to, this is I believe how what's going to change the world around business and the way we do business today and it's going to make, it's going to increase the ability for organizations to attract the next generation workforce to business because not only will it be a strong purpose-based organization but there'll be a, a well-run growing and successful organization that will be sustainable well into the future um, so it's a combination of the two best things in life, right, is actually uh, being able to change the world and being able to deliver and doing it through delivering great business results and then feeding each other. So that's what I'm working on now. I'm incredibly excited about it again. It's called Purpose Meets Execution, and um, we're ramping up. We're already talking to, to businesses that are 
that are interested in it, and uh, we're ready to go full throttle globally with the uh, the product in the next couple of months. That's awesome. Is there a uh, too soon to share a website for uh, the new platform yet, or is there one that? Well, you know, I'll, I'll throw it out there. I'll, I'll tell anybody, all, all the listeners out there, it's, it's rough because we just we just we just put it up and we're evolving it. But it's it's um, I, I like it enough, so I'll share it. So it's uh, basically purposemeetsexecution.com. So www.purposemeetsexecution.com, and uh, you know, built a, a team which is on there of, of remarkable people that are helping me drive this forward. And um, yeah, so it's we we've, we have a bit of a stake in the ground in the, the World Wide Web right now. I love it, Lewis. I absolutely love it. And for those of you that want to learn more about Lewis, you can visit Lewis's website, which is lewisefron.com. And Lewis is spelled L-O-U-I-S. Efron is E-F-R-O-N. lewisefron.com, the voice of purpose. Lewis, man, it is always such a pleasure to spend time with you, my friend. I cannot thank you enough for dedicating a solid chunk of your time with our listeners Wish you nothing but the best, and uh, man, just can't wait for our paths to continue to cross down the road. Brian, thanks so much for having me. It's always, always wonderful speaking to you, so thanks so much. It's my pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Lewis. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening, folks. You can obtain a transcribed version of this show and hear more interviews from the Built on Purpose podcast by visiting our website, yscouts.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I have two things for you. Number one, I'm hoping to get some bonus questions answered by Lewis from our community. So if you have any questions you'd like Lewis to answer, please drop me a line at brian at yscouts.com and I'll forward on your question. Second thing, If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple of others I think you'll love too. Patty McCord, former Netflix chief talent officer and current principal at Patty McCord Consulting, talks to us about how we can be innovative when it comes to our work. Second, Michelle Geelan, founder of the Institute for Applied Positive Research and the author of Broadcasting Happiness, The Science of Igniting and Sustaining Positive Change, talks to us about the power of how we broadcast our messages. Once again, that URL is yscouts.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.